Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth. We are honored that you've taken time out of your busy evening, busy Tuesday evening schedule, in order to join us here on That's Truth. Sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and I'm so glad that we could come into the homes of those who are listening this evening. When I mention that we are thankful that you join us tonight, I don't just mean that figuratively. We look forward to you interacting with us. Maybe you have a topic that you would like to suggest that we cover in a future episode of That's Truth. We are looking for your suggestions, and we would be honored for you to make a suggestion of a topic. Thank you again for joining us on That's Truth. It's a weekly live call-in program. And before we get to our our topic to discuss tonight, Pastor, I have several questions. One, which is a carry-on from the very last minute of last week's program, and it relates to Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 and 23. I'll read the question, I'll read the passage, and then the question again. What is the Sabbath referred to in Isaiah 66, 22 and 23, which will be kept in heaven? And the passage says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one moon, from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Pastor, what is that Sabbath that's being referred to there? Well, I think the person who um, said in the question, they make the same basic problem most people make. They take a passage, two verses, and they try to get an understanding what those verses mean. Um, I think if they read the entire chapter, uh, they'll discover that this has nothing to do with the Sabbath in regards to the new, I mean, in regards to the new heaven and worth. Uh, the whole of Isaiah chapter 66 really is what you might call the final summary chapter dealing with the prophecies concerning the last days. And in this last chapter, um, he puts uh, a lot of these strings that he had dangling in the previous prophecies, and he, he puts all of them together in, in this chapter. Um, if we analyze the chapter, um, I'll just go through very quickly. Uh, the first verse of chapter 1, uh, this chapter 60, 66, verse 1, uh, you find reference there to the millennial kingdom that's going to be built. And our Lord used that occasion uh, to ask them, you know, what, can, what temple can you build that can contain me? 
Uh, he uses the same expression in connection with when Solomon built the temple. The same expression that was used there is used here. And the whole concept is that God is so um, glorious and so uh, majestic, he cannot be contained within any, any kind of building. Having said that, he points out that, you know, it's not a building I want to dwell in. I dwell in the hearts of those who are humble and who have a contrite spirit. So that he moves from that intention to build the temple to talk about the human heart as the, the center which he wants to dwell, especially a human heart that is humble and contrite. Having, having said that, uh, the next thing he does is he explains to them why he loathes the sacrifices that they, they're making to him. Uh, he talks about the fact that uh, when they kill an ox, for example, he says, look, it's as you kill a man. Uh, I don't recognize the, the, the sacrifice you're making. And he says, when you offer lamb, it's as though you offer the unclean dog. In other words, everything that you offer, uh, I abominate and I loathe because, and he explains the next few verses, he explains why that is done in verse 3 and 4. It's because of their self-will. They're doing their own thing, and because of their self-pleasure for their own joy. And he says, uh, because of that, I will bring upon you the penalty of your own self-deluded doings. And he says, uh, you become uh, deluded and desolate, etc., etc. And he gives reasons for this. He says in verse uh, 4, he said, you, you did not heed my call. You did not listen to what I spake, spoke to you. And he said, you did evil in my eyes. And this is verse number 4. And he says, they did that which was deliberate. In other words, they chose this kind of way. Having denounced these false worshippers, in verse number 5, he appeals to the redeemed remnant. He has reserved a remnant. He says the remnant that he uh, has reserved are people who hear his word and tremble at his word. And he said, because you hear my word and through my word, they're going to excommunicate you from their worship, and they're going to mock you and loathe you because you are the redeemed remnant that follows me faithfully. In verse number 6, uh, he says he's going to intervene on the behalf of the remnant that he has preserved. And uh, he said he's going to, in the rebuilt temple of Jerusalem, uh, that is going to be rebuilt, and then he's going to uh, vent vengeance on his enemies. Uh, in verse 7 and 9, he talks about the rebirth of Israel, and he uses the imagery of a woman who is in travail. And he talks about Jerusalem being reborn and her children being reborn, but it's been done in one day. And this happened in 1948, by the way. He said, will a nation be born in one day? And Israel was born in one single day in 1940. I think it was May 14th. That's when the United Nations declare. Uh, and that's the marvelous about this prophecy that Isaiah foresaw that in the future, in one single day, a nation would be made. And that nation became Israel in 1948. Uh, so, and then... In verses 12 to 13, uh, he talks about the future blessings of Jerusalem. He said he'll give peace to Jerusalem like a river. He said the Gentiles would pour into Jerusalem. Uh, he said that uh, they'd be nurtured and blessed. And he said that God would comfort the, the Gentiles as they come up to worship in Jerusalem. Then in verse 14, um, he, he explains the effects that it will have on the Jews. He said they're going to have joy, they're going to have prosperity. Um, he says that um, they will know that he is with them and they would also be able to see the, his judgment on the Gentiles because you're dealing with end times. So he's talking about the temple, he's talking about the fact that Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt, he's talking about his vengeance on the, 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 the Gentiles. Verse 15, he talks about his wrath that will be vented on his, on his enemies and the language that is used there, the same language that Paul uh, used in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and the psalmist used in Psalm 31 verse 20, we talk God coming back to judge with fire and he will pour and consume uh, the idolaters and then when you come to um, verse 18, 
um, he gathers all the nations against Jerusalem. And again, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 8, 9, and 10, and then Zechariah chapter 14, verse 13, verse 1, 3, and 9, talks about all the nations gathered against Jerusalem, and two-thirds of the Jews will be slaughtered, by the way, according to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, that one-third would be left. And then he says, um, during that time of slaughter, when he intervenes to save these remnant Jews, the Gentiles that remain will go back to the nations and... Uh, pretty much become missionaries to the nations. That's the amazing thing that they said. And they'll go to Tarshish, which is Spain. They'll go to Paul, which is uh, Libya. They'll go to Lud, which is West Africa. They'll go to the Greeks, and they'll go to the Isles, uh, um, the, Isle, I, the, uh, the islands, etc. These are the Gentile nations. That's in verse 19. Then in verse 20, we're told that these Gentiles would now bring back the Jews, those that got scattered during this period of time. they bring them back on different forms of transportation. And uh, we're told that when they begin to bring back the Jews in verse 20, we're told that God is going to conscript the, Jew, the, the Gentiles and he's going to consecrate some of them to become priests and uh, as though they were Levites. So the Gentiles are going to be part of the blessing of the end time. Now having said that, he now says in verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth uh, that I make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. He's saying, listen, same way I can guarantee you that it's going to be new heaven and earth, I can guarantee you that Israel will never perish from the earth. Your name, Israel, will never perish. That's why those people that do not believe in the nation of Israel as the preserved remnant uh, are false on the eschatology because they've replaced all the promises to Israel and given them to the church. But the Lord is saying, the same way the new heaven and new earth that I said will come and nothing can stop it, and it will continue forever. He's saying Israel will never perish. No matter what happens, Israel will never, she will provide, uh, survive. And then he says in verse number 23, For from the new moon to the new moon, and from the Sabbath to the Sabbath, all flesh should come and worship before me. So what he's saying here, that during the millennial kingdom, when I reestablish Israel, all the Gentile nations, from morning to night, from Sabbath to Sabbath, we would say from Sunday to Sunday, but because it's a Jewish situation, it's Sabbath to Sabbath. So it has nothing to do with the new heaven and the new earth. It has to do with the millennial kingdom will be established and all the Gentile nations will pour into to Israel and worship in Jerusalem. By the way, this can be uh, seen very clearly from, if you look at... Um, um, uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Um, could you read that for just a minute? Yeah. Jeremiah chapter 3, 16 and 17 says, And it shall come to pass, when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more, The ark of the covenant of the Lord, neither shall it come to mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any more. And verse 17, that the time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. That's the future blessing that's coming when Israel is restored, the millennial kingdom established, and the Lord reigns on Jerusalem. All Gentiles that came out of the tribulation period will now begin to worship there. You also find that, by the way, in Psalm 65, verse 2, and Psalm 72, verse 11. We don't have to, to, to read that. Those who are um, listening could probably jot it down and, and read it. But this is just the, the promise. Uh, and, and again, you see the eschatological, uh, eschatological problem that people make when you completely eliminate the, the nation of Israel and take all that God promised to Israel and now give it to the church. God has never made a promise he will not fulfill. 
And every promise he made to Israel is one day going to be fulfilled. Because when God made that promise, he took all the contingencies into consideration. He knew the entire thing would happen. And God cannot make a promise he can't fulfill. And there's so many things that he has promised Israel that never came to fruition. For example, the land that he gave Israel, Israel never possessed that land. From the river Nile to the river Euphrates, he never possessed that. One day it's going to happen because God Almighty owned the world and he's given Israel that real estate and he will fulfill that promise. I find it interesting that you mentioned that those who uh, apply the promises to Israel and apply them to the church instead of Israel. I recently heard a pastor say that it's interesting that they claim the promises but they don't they don't claim <laughs> the uh, the curses or the the bad things. Well very, <laughs> very interesting perspective. Uh, pastor, we have a couple of text messages, few text messages that uh, have come in in relation to a couple more questions. The first question is, can you please explain what is meant by emotional pain? Well, I think that most people understand what that means. Basically, is when you are emotionally upset, somebody has said something that emotionally upset you. You can also be you can also have mental pain when you're trying to work out something that's difficult. You can't get it done. A mathematical problem, for example, is not so much an emotional pain, but you can have somebody break your heart, uh, a sweetheart, uh, maybe uh, been unfaithful to you, or maybe they give you a, John, a dear John letter that is over, and then you feel emotionally upset. That's what is meant by emotional pain. So it is actually um, your emotions being upset to the point where sometimes you can't function, uh, sometimes you can't think straight, but you, you, you feel it very deeply. We say that in, in, in our hearts, we, we feel the pain of uh, being let down or, or somebody saying something that upsets us. But that's what it really has to do. It has to do with deep emotional discomfort that comes as a result of some event or some circumstance uh, that happens to you. Thank you to the individual who sent in that question from St. Kitts Nevis. Pastor, another question. What is meant by seated in heavenly places? Can you give an example? Yeah, well, it's not so much an example. as uh, You've got to understand uh, positional truth. There's something called practical truth in Christianity, positional truth. And, it, and the truth that is being taught there, basically, is that, uh, as you'll find also in Romans chapter 6, that when Christ died, uh, we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ. When Christ was resurrected, we were resurrected with him. But there's something even more than that, that positionally, uh, we are in Christ. So wherever Christ is, the believer is in Christ. So when it talks about seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, whether you want to believe it or not, uh, as far as God is concerned, we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places because we are in Christ. That's called positional truth. One day that will become real practical truth when our Lord returns and takes us to be with Him. But that expression gives you the assurance that if you are saved, you're born again, and you have died with Him, uh, you died, and you being raised with him, that just as you died with him and were raised with him, you're seated in heavenly places with him. But that will still come to fruition in the future. So it's a it's a, a biblical truth that is a positional truth. It's nothing that we currently experience down here. But as far as God is concerned, he sees us in Christ and wherever Christ is, we are, and therefore we are seated with Christ positionally before God. You said the phrase, if we're saved. Pastor, does that mean if I regularly attend church or what do you mean by if I'm saved? 
Well, um, there are people who are confused on this matter. Uh, joining a church, belonging to a church, uh, <laughs> does not equate to being a Christian or being saved. Um, you can join as many churches as you want. As a matter of fact, if you want to be very sure and you believe it, join every church in Antigua. Uh, you will still not enter the kingdom of God because you must be born again. Our Lord made that very, very clear. And being born again means that a person comes under the conviction of the Holy Spirit about his sin. Uh, the Spirit brings him to the point where he wants to uh, bring him to repentance, he repents of sin, and then the Spirit points him to Jesus Christ as the Savior, and he puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you read John chapter 3, uh, you'll see that John chapter 3 in dealing with Nicodemus, Nicodemus is totally confused when he was told he needed to be born again. He asked the question, can a man re-enter his mother's womb be born again? And our Lord said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then he's still confused. What do you mean by born of the Spirit? And our Lord used an illustration. He said, look, let me use an illustration. The, the wind comes and blows, and you can't say where the wind is coming from, where it's going. But uh, the thing that you need to know is that when the wind comes by, even though you can't see it, you can see the effects of the wind. And that's the same point he's making. You can't dictate to the Spirit when he operates and when he doesn't operate. But when the Spirit begins to work to bring conviction in a person's life, that person responds to the gospel and put their faith and trust in it. And then in the same chapter, he goes on to say, As, as the ser- Moses lived the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of, son of man be lifted up. And he's pointing out in that same chapter, that's what he's talking about. Being born of the Spirit of God, you're brought to the point where you understand that when Christ is lifted on the cross, and he pays the redemptive price for, for, for human sin. The same way the Jews in the Old Testament uh, looked upon the serpent hanging on the, on, the, on, the, on the pole. by the And by the way, that was a cross. It was a center pole and the serpent across. So it's all pointing to the cross. When the same way they looked and believed because of what God said, they said that when Christ died and he is lifted upon the cross for our sins, and you believe that truth, that God has uh, brought redemption and paid the price for human sin, he says by that act of faith in the finished work of Christ, uh, you also will be redeemed and you will be saved. But that's what it is. It has to do with repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Pastor, Psalm chapter 2 and verse 8 says, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen of thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. A listener from St. Kitts that wants to know, can you please explain why the phrase, the heathen for thine inheritance? Well, this is the promise that the Father is making to the Son in Psalm chapter 2. You'll notice that there's a, the nations are arrayed against the Father, against God, and against His Son, basically. Um, but this is the same kind of promise that is made in the New Testament, that at one day every single knee shall bow, things in heaven, things in earth, etc., etc. In other words, one day Christ will repossess planet earth and he will be lord of the universe and the father pledges to him that not only the jew will be part of his inheritance of what he possesses but even the very heathen the the gentiles will one day come into the kingdom of god that of course is fulfilled in, in, in reference to the church and remember if you read the book of acts and read the book of ephesians you'll find that there was a time when we were not part of the Jewish covenant. We were not part of the family of God. We Gentiles were outside the, the, the pole of the covenants. But by an act of divine grace and by an act of Christ's death on the cross and the new covenant, we have now been grafted into God's plan. So, it, But we're ahead of that in Psalm chapter 2. The Son is promised 
uh, that the heathen one day he will inherit. In other words, they will also come to faith and trust, and like the Jews have come to faith and trust. So it will not just be a Jewish community. It will be made up of both Jew and Gentile because Christ will one day rule on planet Earth and he will be Lord of the entire universe, uh, whether you be Jew or whether you be Gentile. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program broadcasting from the studios of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on Tuesday, every Tuesday evening. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 7.51. Pastor Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 reads, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Can you please explain the phrase, he made himself of no reputation? Well, if you check the, if you have a, um, a strong concordance, or if you have one of these Bibles that give you a reference, uh, and you check up the word there, he made himself of no reputation, you see that the word means he emptied himself. And basically, uh, this has been a great theological debate as to what that means. Some people claim that, uh, you know, he emptied himself of his deity, so when he was on earth, he was not God, he was man. That's not what he's teaching. If you read um, the his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, he says to the Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the world began. And that's what it means. He emptied himself of his glory, and he took the form of a, a human being uh, as a servant. So all the glory that belonged to him uh, and that would have been the natural right uh, being the Son of God, uh, he emptied himself of that glory and he came down to planet Earth as a servant. So that's what it means. It doesn't mean that he surrendered his deity. He wasn't God when he came to planet Earth. But it means that he did not display his glory. We do see a glimpse of that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. When the, his glory shone through his, his, uh, his entire body and his, his clothing. And it, looked, it was brighter than the sun. That's what we're talking about. So Paul is just saying in that passage that even though Christ had equality with God, did not consider equality with God something to held on to. But he uh, emptied himself of his glory, became a servant. And he's arguing, by the way, this is the same mindset that we should have. We don't not, should not be concerned about our own glory, our own praise. But we should be humble servants of God and always be willing to condescend in fulfilling God's will for our lives. And, of course, in connection with other people. So he says, if you read the beginning of that uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, uh, Nathan, could you read the first few verses? Uh, Philippians chapter 2? Yes. Yes. Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 says, if there, be any, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same joy, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Good. Who, Stop there. Yeah. That's the, the illustration that he's using. He's calling for unity. He's calling for low, lowly-mindedness. He's talking about uh, self-effacement. Uh, he's putting others before self. And that's what his point is. The greatest example, the classic example of this is Christ himself. He was... Uh, had equality with God, did not hold on to that equality with God, but made himself of no, and became a servant. So he's appealing for us to have the same sight. Of, but we don't, when we become servant, we don't surrender our, our manhood. We don't surrender our humanness. We're still human beings. But we, we, we condescend. And that's the point he's making. Christ did not surrender his deity. 
he took on the form of a man, and of course his deity was veiled in its humanity. But the, throughout the New Testament, you'll find that he never demonstrated his divine power on his own behalf. But you'll find he de demonstrate on the behalf of others, see. And, uh, and that, that's where you could see both the divine and the human in himself. But he, he lived as a human being, as a man, and set the pattern of how we as Christians are supposed to live, dependent upon God. But when it came to helping others who needed supernatural help, he exercised his, di his divinity in, in, in healing and helping, but never for himself because he came to, as an example for us as a servant. Thank you to those who are sending in questions tonight. Pastor, we have a WhatsApp question from Antigua. And once we're done with these questions, we plan on covering the topic of demons and demonology. And I mentioned that to whet your appetite so that you stay tuned. But also it ties into this next question. Good night, Pastor. When a person goes through deliverance, they feel weak and fall down and vomit. Is that biblical? Well, it, you know, if you read the whole matter of deliverance and demonology, there are different responses. Uh, for example, there are times when people foam at their mouth. There are things when there's something like a, a green substance come out of, their, out of themselves. So there's no one particular um, um, canned approach to it and can say that this this is the way it will happen. This is just different different things that, that, that happen at the time. So I can't definitively say that, you know, that this doesn't happen. But I do know that uh, people who have gone through this do end up being extremely weak and tired and weary, and vomiting sometimes is involved. Uh, my own experience, which is very, very limited, I must say, um, I have seen uh, the entire stomach turn up and down, and I mean, you can see as though something is in there coming up from the from the from the belly right up into the chest, and you can see uh, uh, sometimes as though the person just want to spit it out, uh, and, and uh, so I have seen that myself. So, but I do know that vomiting uh, occurs at times, but uh, the extent of it and what comes out, um, you know, it depends on the situation. I'm trying to think of a biblical example in the New Testament where demons were cast out because they ask, is it biblical? Well, if it was demons of castle and the person, well, you do have the case where the guy that was trying to commit suicide running into the fire, yeah. uh, you do have that when he was, uh, you know, he, and then you also got the example of the guy, Garadines, that was so strong and uh, that he was a terror, could break change, but his complete personality became very docile. Uh, so there is a significant change in his normal state under uh, demonic activity and when he is completely transformed. But the, the Bible doesn't give you every every case. The Bible just sets forth principles because every case is, is different. There are times when a demon can be cast out immediately. There are times when it takes prayer and, and, and intercession and fasting. I mean, our Lord made that very, very clear. So the idea that people give sometimes, uh, you know, and by the way, this is one of the big problems that people have. They, they come to a church or they come to a pastor and they say, listen, i got a problem, and uh, the pastor tries to help the church, try to help. But they just want something to be done instantaneous. Uh, it doesn't happen. Our Lord made that very, very clear. And I've read some books, by the way, that has taken more than a year sometimes to deal with these kind of situations. Sometimes wow. it's a week, a month. But it's, it's, there's no instant way. It depends on the amount of demons in a person. It also depends on the power 
of, of control and how much control that person, those demonic powers have had over the individual. So there's no set rule that, you know, I, I could just bring a person and immediately presto, I can just say something and bam, he's gone. Our Lord made it very, very clear. Not even the disciples could cast out certain demons. And he said, listen, this does not come out except to prayer and fasting because there are different, different demonic uh, spirits that have different powers and depending on how much control they've had. And also, by the way, it has a lot to do with ancestry. There's something called transference. We'll probably get to that later. But the, the fact is that a person who is, uh, you've got a family lane where you've got two or three generations where everybody in the family, three and four generations, has been involved in, in, in the occult or black magic or uh, uh, necromancy or or um, uh, dealing with uh, witchcraft or or um, de- dealing with shamanism or something. That normally passes on to the the one of the ancestors and then it comes on to the other sometimes there's a spirit who's been in the in the family lane for a very long time and they are very reluctant to relinquish that control so a lot has to do with the history of the individual that you're dealing with thank you for that question and we will lord willing come back to that topic very shortly pastor another question is it right for a pastor to be jesting on the pulpit making other people feel uncomfortable. Jesting. Well, I'm not too sure. Jesting normally has to do with joking. Uh, I'm not too sure what the person is doing. I don't think a pastor do anything, should do anything to make people feel uncomfortable. Um, I think that uh, when you get into the pulpit, it's a very serious uh, encounter. Uh, you're delivering the word of the Lord. You're, you're trying to preach so that people's minds are touched by truth. And therefore, it's not a place for you to be jesting and make a lot of jokes. I, 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 um, I myself don't like jokes that doesn't fall into the sermon. I mean, there's some preachers before they get up, they tell you two and three jokes and got you in a guffaw kind of a thing and everybody laughing and mauling. Uh, and and I, I don't like that. I, I don't mind it when a person is preaching and then there's an illustration or a, tr- a joke that comes into the preaching. But to start off with that, to, to, you know, I, I'm not for that kind of a thing. I'm not saying that every case it is wrong. Because you might need to break the 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 tension, the atmosphere, uh, to create a you know. But it, the pulpit is not a joking matter; it's a very serious, sober occasion. So you should not try to to jest. And if a pastor is creating discomfort by jesting, uh, I think that the deacons or the individual should be able to request a, a meeting with him uh, or talk to him after. Pastor, can I talk to you for just a few minutes, please? Uh, if I can talk to you, and talk to you sometime during the week. And said, I don't want to offend you, but uh, I find that this is, this is, you know, this is offensive. It's making people feel uncomfortable. And I suggest to him that to, to think about it prayerfully, whatever it is. And then if he doubts your feeling and you have somebody else who, who feels the same way, uh, I said, it's not just myself, there are others as well. I think a pastor would be wise to listen to those kind of situations because he has to work with people. And the worst thing you can do is to make people feel uncomfortable by what you're doing. Uh, so I think a wise man would, would listen to that. Pastor, we have a caller from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Good night, Judy Panel. Uh, good night, sir. How are you, Pastor? Hi, by the way, you have a beautiful wife. Thank you for those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you found her. She's very special. She looks very special. I don't have never met her, but yeah, she's a very beautiful lady. And I saw the <laughs> I saw the wedding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So congratulations, man. Treat her, treat her as a queen. Treat her as a queen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Let yeah. uh, I want to I want you to explain something for me. Like Second Samuel chapter eleven. Uh huh. And pertaining to David and Bathsheba. Uh huh. Uh, well, you know, it happened that a coincidence that David 
had to be in one he neglected to go in one he was at his home and at the same time Bathsheba was on her roof watching her skin and I want to know if it's a coincidence or they had met before and made the plan or whatever. Well, all of that is total speculation. Some people, to, to make the sermon more exhilarating, would go into speculation that David has seen her before and he came back from, you know, from fighting just to go up there and take a peep at her. But that is pure human speculation. The Bible doesn't indicate that. Well, the Bible does indicate that David should not have been at home. It says that when kings go forth to war, so David is a, apparently there's a period of time when David should be at war, but rather than be at war, David decides to take a break, and the enemy uses that that occasion to uh, create this coincidence where he he walks at, uh, in the evening and he, uh, you know, you you walk in the top of your, your balcony and you you see this woman bathing naked. I mean, most most uh, you know the proper thing to do would be to go into your room and close the door, but curiosity. Uh, normally um, creates a desire, you know, you, you know, I don't have to go into, the, the imagination starts to run, but David's mistake was that it's not, you know, he couldn't help himself seeing that, but he could help himself watching it, but he refused to, to take that break and go back and close the door. Uh, he stood there, and, and then what happens, one thing leads to another. As a matter of fact, I preached a sermon on that one time ago, and I think it was seven steps David took. That led him, led him down, down that road. And it's all small incremental steps that lead to uh, adultery and involvement with in, immorality. We uh, can't stop a bird from flying on her head, uh, but we can stop him from nesting on her head. And that's what we need to do in those kind of situations. And David failed to do that, and David knew better than that. That's why Job, Job by the way, the book of Job said, I've made a covenant with my eye, I will not look on a female. Right, uh, David didn't do that, and David paid the price. Like all of us would pay the price if we don't close our eyes to things that we inadvertently see, and because of our curiosity and our, and our prurient um, evil desires, uh, could lead us down that track. So the secret there is that you know, uh, keep your eye and make a covenant with your eye, and don't look at things you shouldn't look at. Even the appearance, correct, correct, exactly mm -hmm. right. But you see, the other I, thing, if I might add here that to, to you, is that sin is never simple. It's always complicated. Mm. The moment you commit that act of sin, you've got to cover it up now. And you live in guilt, uh, you live uh, in secrecy, and the problem with David, he had to cover it with murder. So adultery led to murder. David never thought about that. And when we get involved in things that are sinful, it always leads to something worse than that initial sin. And the cover-up is normally bad, worse than the act itself. So it, uh, we just got to make sure that we, cut, we, we nip sin in the bud and don't allow it to perpetuate and grow and blossom and mushroom because it becomes far more complicated. And Pastor, do you believe it was a wrong thing that the other guy, the head of the army, to cover up for David? Yeah, of course, but, but remember, you know, we got to understand what kind of days we're living. We're not living in those days. Just a, a king was like a god in those days. And when he gave you a commission, you carried out the commission. Otherwise, you paid the consequences. And, and the fact that he gave the letter uh, to the guy saying, listen, put this guy uh, in front of the army. And when you go into the battle, withdraw yourself so he could be killed. Uh, he was complicit in the whole thing as well. He did something wrong, but again, uh, he feared David, and he just was a soldier. He obeyed the commander. But at times when the commander is doing something unethical and wrong, it's like a pastor telling you to do something that's wrong. 
You don't do it because the pastor tells you to do it. If he, what the pastor is telling you is something contrary to Scripture, you just don't do it because Scripture is have authority above the pastor. The Word of God is above the pastor. So that person should have known that the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. And he should have known that it was not proper to do exactly what David requested. He would have lost his position, but that is worth the price of being obedient to God. Yeah, I believe in right. I believe Doha was a, a, a really a man of God. He's supposed to stand against that wicked act. Correct, correct. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. God bless. Say hi to the wife. Okay. Okay. Bye. Thank you very much for your call. God bless. Stay safe. Pastor Murphy, can a pastor, this question comes from Antigua via WhatsApp, can a pastor or its members of a congregation force individuals to leave a church by mentally and emotionally abusing them? Yeah, I think that is possible. I think that I don't think it should should be done, but I can see uh, I can see that happening. Uh, and I I say to people, you know, you always look. Uh, one of the things that your constitution should contain is how do you dismiss a pastor when a pastor goes beyond. Uh, his authority, how do you dismiss the pastor? Uh, it cannot be that this constitution tells you how to call a pastor but never tell you how to dismiss a pastor. And there are ways to do that. You, you, you request a meeting of the members of the church and the same two-thirds that invited him in are the same two-thirds that are required to get him out. So if he is totally uh, to the point where he is a cultic leader or a dictator or whatever it is and he doesn't I don't know what the situation is, but clearly there's complete uh, breakdown as far as uh, his authority is concerned, his moral authority, whatever it is, and you want to deal with that matter, you request to the members, and if they've got sufficient members who are dissatisfied with the way he's dealing with things, then they can make a vote uh, to find another pastor. But um, but it's possible. It's possible to use that kind of mental uh, thing that would cause people to want to leave. I, I think that is possible. You're listening to That's Truth, live call-in program in the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We are broadcasting from the island of Antigua, 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. For this program, you can also join us on Facebook Live. You go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can comment your thoughts or your question. If you'd like to call and be put live on the air, please call 1-268-462-7420. WhatsApp or text your question to 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, I mentioned earlier that we were going to uh, discuss the topic of demons and demonology. Can you start out by sharing what exactly do you mean by this topic, I know it's something that's been discussed very broadly and in many different circles. Mm-hmm. Well, look, when we uh, deal with this subject, the, the fact that we need to understand that there is a teaching in the Bible in respect to agents and entities called uh, demons. Uh, the word that is used uh, for these entities is the word in the Greek language, daimonia. And that word is used 60, 60 times in the New Testament is used 19 times in the singular and 41 times in the plural. So when we talk about demonology, we're talking about the the biblical doctrine that we, we regards to these spirit entities that are the enemies of God and man and uh, are engaged in a great conflict uh, 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 to, to, to try to damn the human soul. Um, I would say this as well. 
And when we talk about demons, we're talking fallen angels. Um, let that be very clear. I've read certain books that have suggested that the demons are the spirits of uh, some pre-Adamic nation, uh, people that were created that died, and now they're, they're, they're spirits and now demons. That's not what the Bible teaches. There was no pre-Adamic uh, um, nation or no pre-Adamic uh, people. The Bible says the first person uh, that was made was well, first human was Adam. So there's no pre-Adamic uh, race of people that existed that was wiped out and then they become demonic spirits. The Bible makes it clear that the devil and his angels, that's the expression that is used, these are fallen angelic beings that uh, fell with Satan. Uh, One third, we are told in the book of Revelations, fell with him. So let's be very, very clear in our minds what we're talking about. We're talking about evil demonic spirits that were formerly fallen angels, uh, angels that fell when Satan fell, and as a result they became evil and are now engaged in a great spiritual battle uh, with God's uh, good angels. Uh, and it's all about the soul of man and the, uh, the uh, damning uh, human soul, and God is intent on rescuing human soul. So it's a spiritual battle uh, dealing with these fallen angelic beings. Why do you imagine or why do you believe that there's such a fascination or interest with the spirit world and the occult, especially in modern times? Well, I think if you do do some reading, you'll find that there's so much interest now in, in uh, ESP, paranormal activity, people concerned about uh, dealing with the occult, they're dealing with the New Age movement, uh, they're dealing with transcendental meditation, they're dealing with yoga, all of these have to do with, with spirits. Uh, I think there are several factors that have led people down this, this trail. Um, one of those things, I think, is the spiritual vacuum that was created by the scientific age, as it were. Interesting. Yeah, because you, you remember that the, the scientists virtually did away with God, with evolution, okay? And uh, it really robbed uh, the uh, world of any concept of spirit uh, spirituality and that which was supernatural. And that could only last for so long because scientific uh, evolution led to materialism. And materialism can't feed the soul. This, this God created a void in us that uh, only God can fill. And I think as a result of the moving from the biblical truth and going into, and I think, by the way, the church did a great disservice to the world by compromising with evolution. And they did that by uh, those who did not, embrace evolution, talk about theistic evolution that God created by the process. God created this world by Jesus Christ, not by evolution. And that's why I say this, and I say this without any apology, no man can be an evolutionist and be a Christian. It's impossible, okay? Uh, you, you surrender that one doctrine of creation and you surrender everything because the God you're coming to is the God who created you. And if there's no God that created you, there's no offense against God. If there's no offense against God, there's no need for Jesus Christ. There's no sin. There's no salvation, etc. So let's be very, very clear. And the church needed to take a stand. It never did because it wanted to be considered scientific. It didn't want to be obscurantist and people who were not intellectual and smart, etc., etc. We sold out the gospel. We sold out the Bible. We sold out Jesus. Jesus Christ. As a result, the church, the, the world is in the state that's in because the church did not take a stand. But I think this spiritual vacuum is very, very real. In addition to that, Nathan, there's a theological liberalism that came about as a result of evolution. Where now, because there's no God, they began to attack the Bible. They began to say Moses didn't write the book of, of the, the, the five books of the Bible because Moses couldn't read. And people, and by the way, that's in books. 
that people accepted for the period of time. Now it's discovered that long before Moses existed, in the days of Abraham and early Chaldees, there was complete, not only people literate, but there was an advanced civilization. That, but they have never retracted that. So there are people who were brainwashed in the school that Moses couldn't write because of what these people wrote. When it was finally discovered that it's so false, nobody retracted it. So there's still people holding to this mythology, uh, and uh, they keep perpetuating it again and again because they're not informed and not up to date what really has happened. So I think that is that that that, that theological um, liberalism that began to. Um, uh, say that the Bible is false and there's so many errors in the Bible, etc. Let me make one statement to those who might be listening. There's no other ancient big book in the world that has as much documentary evidence to support it. Not one. The the, the, the Bible is the uh, it has more basis for belief in the integrity of Scripture than any other ancient book. And the manuscripts we have, 5,000, for example, of New Testament manuscripts, and then that has nothing to do with New Testament translation that is in the Coptic language or the Syrian language, etc. Like 11,000 of those that are still in existence. No other book on planet Earth, ancient book, that is, has enough evidence to support it. And by the way, when you compare all of these writings together, they might have mistakes in terms of the, 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 the writing and the formation of the letter but nothing in terms of the doctrine or the teaching it just maybe that they might have left out a word but all of that can be corrected and put right by comparing all of these manuscripts etc etc so the myth continues to be uh, spouted out there and people who are not informed these are a lot of ignorant people very very ignorant who know no biblical theology who have never studied Greek never studied Hebrew have no background in archaeology that is spouting nonsense and got people listening to them which is absolutely not true and uh, I think but I think that that theological liberalism has also uh, created the problem as well so I think those two things the scientific uh, experimentation and, and uh, the advocacy of evolution which robbed the Bible of the supernatural and then the attack on the Bible that led to the materialism, people trying to find meaning and purpose in the pursuit of material things. and then they discovered that you know, the soul requires more than just material things and that created a void and rather than turn back to God, they started turning to this the occult. They started turning back to witchery. <laughs> they started turning to shamanism. They're looking to get in contact with the supernatural because God has created that vacuum. There's something in man's spirit that pursues the transcendent and the supernatural. And rather than turn back to the God of the Bible, they began to explore Satanism, witchcraft, uh, the occult, etc., etc. So I think that is one of the explanations. That spiritual vacuum that there had to be filled and people began to pursue other means of getting in contact with the uh, something that's not material, something that is spiritual and super uh, supernatural, and something that is super rational above the reason. The other thing I would say, uh, Nathan, along with this is, is Hollywood. Hollywood ca uh, cash in on the on, on this whole thing because when they began to see that people were interested in these kind of things, they started creating movies like The Poltergeist, The Omen, uh, Rosemary Baby. Um, uh, they started talking about, um, you, you see, Charmed, uh, you know, that kind of thing. They started um, now creating movies that got people now began thinking in that same realm. And they be so they be began to exploit the demonic 
and uh, et cetera, et cetera, because the interest was now there, and people, so Hollywood cashed in on it and created some movies that everybody knows how to talk, Rosemary Baby and The Poltergeist, et cetera. And there's so many others, by the way, that we can talk about. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, more for kids, et cetera, et cetera. So not only the adults now, there's no focus on the kids, right? and they made these... Uh, these things attractive to kids so kids know that led to the third thing by the way uh, which is the music the, the the modern music in the 1970s rock music turned uh, into the occult in the 1970s and you'll find that a lot of the rock stars now carry satanic symbols and use satanic themes uh for their for their records for example um uh, the bone thugs uh had hell sent hell sent that was one of their um, uh, captions on one of their their uh, records. Murder was the case. Snoop Dogg, right? Again, all had to do with the occult and demonism. Dance um, with the devil. These are titles of books. I mean, of of songs that came out and albums that came out. So rock music now began as well to delve into the the occult. If you read about the Beatles coming in with TM TM meditation, uh, you have. Um, Again, they explored not only drugs, but they explored the Eastern cults, etc., etc., because there was a void there. And since Christianity had been robbed of its power, uh, etc., they now began to turn to the, these different things. And then the fourth thing is games. Um, children are now encar- encouraged to play with tarot cards, the Ouija board. Uh, you've heard of the dungeon and the and the dragons games that children began to. So you be, the children now began to in, indirectly to to interact with the the occult. As a matter of fact, dungeon and and, and um, dragon and dungeons. As a result of that, fifty teenagers had committed suicide. I think well, last year in Antigua, uh, it happened in our school too. The there was something on the internet that was uh, dealing with the occult and children in our school or our private school there they were doing the things that uh, the thing said and things were moving hmm. things were moving kids came to me and told me I said listen don't you ever do that but they were ex- we see because on the internet they just think yeah. it's fun but they don't understand that you're dealing with the spirit world but it actually happened in our school as well and I said listen what did you see I said pastor things were moving I said well, tell me what happened I said listen we can cut this thing out right now I don't want to hear anybody uh, engage in this act. but again they did it innocently because they just thought it was fun uh, and that is where games as well have led kids to get involved uh, when I was in uh, some years ago in Barbados, I know that uh, a child took this to school, the Ouija, Ouija board, and was talking to it, and, and things started to move. And then one of the children became possessed by a spirit. Mm-hmm. Right? These are things, but kids, kids are innocent. They just think this is this is fun, this is games. Except, don't even realize the danger. So I think games have to do with it. And then the other thing, of course, um, has to do with um, the Wicca uh, movement. Where um, uh, the it was now a revival in witchcraft, and it was now something that was uh, attractive uh, to especially to, to young young girls. Uh, dozens of novels were written to encourage uh, children, to, especially girls, to experiment with this new witchcraft, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As a matter of fact, um, the um, the chaplaincy in the army recognize Wicca as a legitimate religion and allow Wicca priests to actually minister to people who are in the army. That's us. That's what we preach. Now imagine you are you you are now bringing people who are witches into the army 
to counsel people who are into in the Wicca. That's that's what was that's what's going on in the sixties and seventies, which has continued to grow. And then the other thing is now is the New Age movement. Uh, the way that the, the New Age movement has encouraged this thing, by the way, is that they have now created an open-mindedness towards spirits in, a, in the spirit realm. So they talk ascended masters, that you can get in contact with these spirits, avatars, spirit guides, and you you know it, it, it's it, it's 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 now this used to be called like um, familiar spirits in the Bible that people call the mediums, people act as mediums, but now this is seen as something that. Uh, you can get in contact with these masters who, uh, over the years, have got all this wisdom, and now somebody can put you in contact with these, these these spirit beings. There are people, by the way, today that write books by these ascended masters, right? Uh, but that New Age movement that is a higher conscious level that you need to get in contact with, and they're conscious beings that are far superior to you, but you need to tap into them. That before would have been labeled as witchcraft and something to be condemned. Now it is labeled as something that is going to lead the world into a greater um, conscious level where the world is going to get better and get more peace because these ones got the answers and you must tap into them. So you've got seances and stuff like that that would have been rejected and necromancy, uh, speaking to the dead, all of this that would be condemned in the scriptures is now normal and seen as something that is brilliant and something that is putting you in contact with, uh, with forces and powers far beyond you. So I think those six things... Uh, have led to the greater interest, and now the church now uh, is the other other part of it, where uh, the church tapped in on this as well. And uh, now you got churches that everything has a demon, everything has a demon. So you've got, uh, and they've got believers who are delivered almost every week from demons. I don't know where they get that from, right? We're not saying that the, the demons don't exist. But I think you've gone to, they've gone to the other extreme because they too want to cash in on this spirit trend that is going on in the world. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Pastor, WhatsApp question from Antigua. Good night, Pastor Murphy and Nathan. My question is, what should a person do if their job requires them to work on the Sabbath? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by the Sabbath. You, if you leave on a Saturday... Uh, I don't have a problem working on the Saturday, so I don't know what they mean. But if they mean that this, by Sabbath they speak on Sunday because they depend on the language. Some people, you read some of the old theologians, they're talking the Christian Sabbath. They don't mean Saturday, they mean Sunday. So I'm not too sure what the person is saying. I'm assuming uh, uh, the person is referring to Sunday. If I was required to work on Sunday, um, uh, I and I and I and my conscience bother me on the matter, and I feel that it's the, the Lord's day. I would go in and speak to the uh, the boss and say, "Listen, boss, you know, I'm a Christian. Um, is there any alternative uh, that I can be have my time for church, uh, and uh, you know, see if I can can I switch whatever it is." Uh, it could very well be that you can work out something that maybe you will have the Sunday morning off, that you can go to church Sunday morning, and then you're going to work Sunday night. Those are alternatives. Or you can surrender your job. Uh, there's nothing wrong in that. There are people who do that. There are many people in the Seventh-day Adventist church who would never work on a Sabbath, and they would give up their job if they had to work on the Sabbath. So if they can do it uh, that way, there's nothing wrong in a Christian as well, feeling strongly about the matter, been to the boss, try to get things worked out, can't get things worked out. His consciousness is bothering him, and he looks for an alternative. I would say to you that while you're looking uh, to get a rearrangement, and you, if you can't get a rearrangement, always try to look for some kind of an alternative uh, 
and don't just give up a job uh, without trying to find a way because if you've got a family and you've got to take care of your kids you have to take that into consideration right and don't forget policemen have to work on a Sunday there's some jobs that necessity doctors have to work uh, on, a, on a Sunday as well uh, so it depends on the kind nurses may have to work on a Sunday so it's the kind of job that you're, you're in if you can find an alternative find an alternative but I think to be consistently uh, uh, out of church and not being able to uh, you know I do think that's a problem and I do feel that you should try to rectify that either through uh, consultation with the, the authorities and see if you can get something arranged or uh, keep looking for an alternative uh, that can satisfy your career goals but uh, just jumping and leaving a job without knowing what you're going to especially if you've got responsibility I think that is in a sense irresponsible as well but wouldn't that be stepping out in faith it's stepping out in faith but you've got to use your common sense as well let, let's, let's God give you uh, something between your two ears called a brain and that brain is supposed to be used etc uh, etc et um, but if you are totally convinced and you want to step out in faith it's up to you but as far as I'm concerned I think it'd be more judicious that while you're trying to rearrange your schedule that you look for an alternative if you sense that the boss is not going to um, in any way um, ameliorate situation by by coming up with some kind of a, a plan or whatever it is. I I feel that if you are you I mean I may be wrong about this, but I do feel that if I was a boss and I had a worker, and it's very obvious to me that he has a real genuine authentic faith and he's real and he's a good worker and he works hard. I think if he came to me and explained to me his situation, he, he he's such a good worker. I want to keep him. I think I would work something out with him because. Not all bosses are against God. Let's be very, very clear about that. Uh, and I think that they're bosses who are reasonable and will try to cooperate with you and work with you in, in, in that matter. A WhatsApp question from Anguilla. Good evening, gentlemen. Scripture clearly states that there are times when God refuses to listen to our prayers. My question then is, is it a mistake when we wait until we are dying on our deathbed to cry out to him at the last minute to save us from damnation? Look, very few deathbed repentances are, are genuine and real. You know, you can't live your life with the devil and blow the smoke in God's face. Uh, I've used that expression before. And I don't think that most people who die on their bed are really sincere uh, in terms of turning in, 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 to God, okay? I don't, I don't, I don't feel that is the, the, they're sincere and real, genuine, authentic. They're just trying to escape hell, but there's no real genuine trust in God. They're hoping by saying a little prayer that suddenly that they, 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 they'll just get into heaven. So I, I think it is very unwise for any man to wait until his last moment and then say, Lord, save me. Uh, he has no faith whatsoever. I think that is uh, um, really playing Russian roulette with their lives. And I, I would not advocate anybody waiting to the last dying moment uh, then to just uh, turn to the Lord and ask the Lord to save them. So I don't, I don't give much credence to those last moment uh, deathbed repentances. I think a lot of them are just bogus. They're not real. They're not authentic. And I don't think they're genuine. Uh, so the Bible says, seek the Lord while we be found. The Bible says, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. Now is the day of salvation. So I don't think that you should just um, wait until the, that last moment to do that. And then the other thing, by the way, if you wait till the last moment, sometimes you don't have to have your mind together. 
you know, Alzheimer's can get you, uh, something else can get you, but basically you may not have your mind altogether. And then, is there not a doubt that you are really uh, playing with God, that you, you knew this thing a long time before, so your conscience doesn't even allow you to make a, a real solid decision? All of those are factors that you need to take into consideration. But I don't advise anybody to wait until they're on their dying bed and then to say a, a little prayer and uh, presto, they're in heaven. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that's wise at all. Yeah. What do you do if you die in your sleep? <laughs> we can be talking right now, and before I leave this place, I'm gone. You can yeah. be gone as well. So yeah. it's a very serious matter. Yeah. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is eight twenty-nine. We have thirty minutes left in the program. Still plenty of time for you to send in your question, and also plenty of time for you to encourage others to tune into that's truth. Encourage them to send in their questions or just to listen and to learn more about the biblical worldview and what the Bible says and how the Bible has the answers for every question that we face in life. Pastor, as we talk about demons, my mind goes back to a conversation I had with a young man a couple years ago, and he stated when I mentioned about demons, he said, oh, that's something that only took place back in Bible times. That's not real today. What's your answer to that? Well, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding when we talk about um, about demons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, uh, just mention some things that I think people have wrong conceptions of, of what we're talking about. Uh, there are those, of course, who don't believe that demons exist. Okay, that may be the young man. Uh, why he expressed that kind of sentiment. Maybe these people were so stupid back in those days, they believe in something called demons, but we are so enlightened now, we don't believe in demons. You know, there are people who who, who um, um, don't take the Bible very seriously and think the Bible is, is not God's Word, just think it's an ordinary book made of folk, folk, t- folk tales and st- stories, etc. So that's one of the misunderstandings, that they don't exist. And those people, by the way, are people who have an anti-supernatural bias. They they just they're either evolutionary in the thinking, atheist in the thinking, or maybe agnostic in the thinking, but they have a clear bias against anything supernatural. So they try to explain everything that's happening in terms of uh, science, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They, they see the world as a closed system, and anything that violates the laws that uh, are there that govern the natural world, they don't accept it. That's why they don't accept the supernatural. That's one thing. The other thing is that uh, they don't believe that if they do believe in demons, they don't believe that their personalities. Uh, they believe that there may be some kind of force or power or some kind of emanation from God, but in actually personalities where they can think, act, and uh, have feelings and and and, uh, and uh, will, they don't believe that. Uh, again, uh, when we come to the Bible, we see that's very. The other one is that people who do believe uh, in demons think that demons are responsible for every sin. So you get people say the devil made me do it, and they find an excuse by using. Uh, the idea that because there are these spirit beings and these spirit entities that interfere in human life, that they're behind uh, all the sin, et cetera, et cetera. So it's absolving man of human, human responsibility and trying to cast the blame on the, on, on the demons. The, f- uh, the f- fourth thing is that they feel that uh, sometimes that these demonic powers are responsible for physical infirmities. So if a person is sick, he has a demon. I think that is pretty much... Uh, the Word of Faith movement and some other movements as well very strongly believe that you shouldn't be sick and if there's any kind of sickness uh, they, 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 they see it as the intervention of these spirit beings that create this thing or they believe that all mental illness is caused by demonic spirits and again if you read it, when we study the Bible when we study the Bible you find that there are differentiation between 
uh, people who were demon possessed that were uh, insane, and there were people who were uh, insane but were not demonized. The Bible makes a clear distinction between the two. So not every person that is mad, as we would use the term, is demonized. But I do believe that there are a lot of people in some of these mental institutions that are really demonized and not crazy. So I do believe that, but not every person there. Yes. Pastor, we have a caller. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Um, this is me. Yes, sir. Yes, good night. Yep. Um, Pastor Murphy. Yes, sir. Is the question is concerning um, music, but I don't want to use the word music because I realize that music um, is so vast and so... Um, complicated that I prefer if you speak on the topic of the beat mm -hmm. because of recent times I find the beat has taken over a lot of um, like um, worship service and worship, other things that I find going very far in terms of the rhythm and the beat that goes with um, what I find to be very very uncomfortable and 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 and, and, and unacceptable mm -hmm. because i think that sometimes i think it really really rubbed me in the wrong way because um it's not to me it's not honoring god it's it's not um um i don't want to know the, the right um word to refer to it but trust me i i, I think it should be more rev reverent and revering and and you know like 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 the the the, the music or the beat is kind of slow slow down and toned down to re, to really denote the kind of a um presence that you want to feel in in preparing for service or in um Something like that. I think that um, I don't know if you can emphasize on this. No, I, 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 I'm in complete uh, sympathy with what you're saying. I think that what has happened in the church really is that we move towards entertainment. And when music appeals more to your feet and your body than to your mind yeah. and your spirit, there's an imbalance there for sure, and I no, think I that that is what. It, I, that, honestly, I can't take it. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I feel I the same way too. And then it's a lot of noise. I've been into churches sometimes because when I am on vacation, I normally try to visit churches to see what's going on, mm -hmm. to see what's the spiritual atmosphere of different churches. Mm -hmm. I've been to churches and I, I can't concentrate. I just cannot concentrate. I go in there and I, I the, the, the preload where you they, they play music for maybe thirty yeah. or forty minutes. You're trying to pray. You're trying to think, and it, I can't do it because no. it doesn't. Yeah appeal to my mind is nothing it's, it's just like so I, I'm a very sympathetic with what you're saying I can't take the beat I'm telling yeah. you I, I, that there is really not what I would love to be considered as um, sacred um, revering type of um, uh, what I call it songs uh, sacred songs and uh -huh and spiritual um, music. That's, that's, that's the way I see it. I'm very sorry, but I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't really uh, subscribe to that kind of a... Yeah. It, it really irritates me sometimes. Yeah. The other I'm thing, sorry about that. I agree with that. The other thing, sir, is that the, the lyrics are so poor. Uh, there's no there's no quality there. There's no there's no real no. biblical no. doctrines in these things. It's, it, it is more like uh maybe it, it's basically taking uh worldly music and putting sacred so lyrics to it 
and uh, they told them don't mesh and you you can you can pick it up they just don't mesh that's the trend and there's something i don't know how to reverse that uh it will take the pastors and the people in those churches to understand what is happening but you know it's like what i'm saying to you that the whole trend today is entertainment the church has become an entertainment institution is not become a preaching center where you are preaching the word and examining the word and and uh you're singing music that glorifies god it's not about god it's about making me feel good making me move making my feet move my body move and the more movement i have etc etc uh the the better i feel so it's a feeling thing right they don't come to church to glorify god they come to church to feel good that's not the purpose of church the church is to come the one day we have in the week that god is Sunday. It's about God. It's not about us. It's just to praise Him and exalt Him. The devil of speed, right? Yeah. And, uh, the, the faster the music, uh-huh. uh, the, the, the beat is like the, the more it, uh, it touching and it's entertaining. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but I can't, I can't take it. Look, I had a, I have a neighbor uh, where I'm living. Quite frankly, he, uh, he's play some music that you know it's everybody in the village can hear it. Basically, I didn't even know it was Christian music honest i did not know it was christian music until i i purposely tried to listen to the words and it is so shallow when i began to listen to the words, it is so shallow all i realized is about about the beat and the rhythm that's all it's about nothing about the beat and nothing about the words uh we're concerned about you know but it did i'm just telling you that we're in a crazy world but the thing about it is that those who are what i call the remnant uh, and I, I, I'm not saying remnant Baptist either. I'm saying the remnant, the, the saved remnant. We've got to maintain certain standards, and we got to make sure that we don't fall into the same trap that others have fallen fallen into. And we got to try our utmost best to to preserve the best of what is there, and always try to understand that the purpose of church is to glorify God. Is not for me to come to church to sweat and to feel good and to leave without anything whatsoever of any substance for, to go through the week. It's about preaching the word. It's about praising God, exalting Him and glorifying Him. And music that doesn't do that does a great disservice uh, to the church and to the people in the church. God bless you. Thanks for calling. Appreciate Thank you very much for the call. We appreciate it. And keep your radio dial tuned to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We do our best to provide you great Christian music. Encourage others to tune in to CRL also. Pastor, a WhatsApp question from Antigua. Do you have to be baptized to be a Christian? That's a question that many people have. No, you don't have to be baptized to be a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you will want to be baptized. right? Because uh, baptism is a public entrance into the church, basically. Uh, you'll find it in the New Testament where people are saved, they're baptized. And uh, the, the, the conversion takes, first, takes place first, and then following that, you give a, a public testimony through your baptism. That's why we try to have baptism where you can, well, some churches got a, a baptistry in the church. I think there's nothing wrong with that. People can invite their friends, et cetera, et cetera, the workers, et cetera, to see that. Because many people are not going to come down to the, the sea. Only those who are down there, basically, th- that particular day are going to see it. But it would be a good thing if you had a baptist where you can invite all your unsafe friends, all your unsafe relatives, your workers, etc., etc. I think that can be a wonderful testimony. But I do feel that once a person is converted, um, I think it is right and proper and biblical that he would want to be baptized. But the, the, the baptism doesn't save you. Uh, it is just... Um, 
the visible testimony to the world, basically, that you are actually following Jesus and following Christ. You, you can make a decision uh, without any people knowing that, but when you're going to be baptized, uh, people know that public, and I think it's a good public um, testimony to people that you've put, decided to make, uh, put your faith and trust in Christ. You want to follow Him, and you, you do that by the process of baptism. Then, of course, normally the church, you're accepted to the church um, on, the, on your testimony, after you're generally baptized. But um, if you're saved, you would want to be baptized. No doubt about that. I had one friend many years ago. We came up in the same church. I can still remember his name. It was Andy. I can't remember his last name. But it always bothered me that every time there was to be baptism, he would he would never get baptized. You know what he is today? He is leading the Church of Christian Science in Barbados. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we knew each other, etc. But it always, when I learned that, then I begin to understand what was really happening. This is not a really converted person. Uh, but if you're truly saved and truly born again, you want to follow the Lord in obedience uh, to baptism. Pastor, as we talk about demons and demonology, and there's so much confusion out there, especially on topics of the supernatural or the unseen world, specifically about this topic, what are some of the common misunderstandings that you believe are out there about demons? Yeah, I think I just shared five with you, Nathan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned that, uh, you know, they don't people don't believe they exist. I mentioned that um, they believe that um, they are not personalities. Uh, they're not, re- they may be some kind of power, but they no, no, they don't make decisions. They don't make a choice. They, they don't have a will. Uh, they don't have a mind. Uh, some, people believe, some people believe that they're responsible for every sin that we do. They be, believe that they're responsible for physical sickness and responsible for mental illness. I think there's some of the misunderstandings that are out there. And, of course, the other thing that I mentioned is that there are people today who believe that uh, a demon is behind everything. So you've got an alcoholic demon. You've got a sex demon. You've you got a, a coffee demon. You, a lion you, you demon. You've got a lion demon. I mean, the Bible gives no basis for that whatsoever. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible is very discreet when it comes to this whole matter of, of, of demons, etc., etc. So we've got to be very careful we don't jump on the bandwagon of, of all of this um, excitement, etc., etc., and, uh, you know, that th- th- these people are talking about. Let's be very reserved and uh, very discreet in how we deal with this whole topic because the Bible itself is very reserved and very discreet in this matter. But the Bible does teach that the demons exist? Of course. Uh, I, now, let me just deal with that for just a moment. Um, every single writer in the New Testament testified that there are demons. Every single really? writer. Yeah. There are eight New Testament writers, by the way, if you don't know that. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's Paul. There's Jude. There's Peter and James. Those are the New Testament writers. Every single one of them uh, uh, acknowledged that they're demons. Uh, Matthew, for example, in I give a very passage here, Matthew 4, 24, Matthew 8, 16, uh, Matthew 8, 28, Matthew 8, 31, Matthew 8, 33, Matthew 9, 32, Matthew 30, uh, 32 and 34, Matthew 11, 18, Matthew 12, 22, 24, 15, 22, and 17, 18. All of those verses, you'll find that Matthew makes reference to demons. Mark uh, makes reference to demons in Mark 1, 32, and 34, Mark 3, 15, Mark, uh, 15, 22, Mark 3, 15, and 22, Mark six thirteen, Mark seven twenty six and thirty, Mark nine thirty eight, and Mark sixteen nine. What I'll do, Nathan, let's just take one from each, okay? Yeah. Let's take Matthew um Matthew eight sixteen. Matthew eight sixteen says 
When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. It can't be plainer than that. Uh, now, the word there, devils, by the way, the word demons, that's one of the uh, mistranslations within the, the King James Version because there's only one devil but many demons, and it's talking about demons. But notice that Matthew asserts there. Uh, he just states that. that. Look at Mark, um, look at Mark uh, 6.13. Mark 6.13 says, And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Again, very explicit, very careful. Uh, as I mentioned, there are about uh, nine different references in Mark to the matter. Let's take Luke, for example. Luke wrote, wrote um, two books. He wrote the book of Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. In both Luke, the Gospel of Luke and in Acts, he makes reference to demons. Let's take one from uh, Luke. Look at Luke um, uh, 8.22, 8.2 and um, 8.27, 8.35, same, same chapter, 8.2. 8.2 says, And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, and, and certain and Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils. Read verse 27, same chapter. Verse 27 reads as follows, And when he went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house. Okay, but now read verse 35. Verse 35 says, Then they went out to see what was done, and came to Jesus and found the man, out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Read clothed. verse 36. That's 36. Right? Uh, verse 36 says, They also which saw it told them by what means he that was possessed of the devils was healed. And then verse 38. Now the man out of whom the devils were, were departed besought him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away. Very clearly, not only Matthew, Mark, now Luke is indicating very clear. In that one chapter, several times, you got reference to this uh, demonic powers, etc. And then look at Acts, because Luke also wrote the book of Acts. Look at Acts um, 8-7. For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and were lame, were healed. Again, very, very clear, very, very explicit about the, the fact that there was uh, people who were, um, there were exorcists who uh, cast out demons. Oh, so you got Matthew, Mark, Luke. Let's look at John for uh, just an illustration. John wrote five books, right? Mm-hmm. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the first, second, and third epistle, and he wrote the book of Revelation. And you'll find that in, in, the, in three of his books, he made reference to demons. Let's look at um, John eight forty eight and forty nine. John eight forty eight and forty nine says, "Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil?" Jesus answered, "I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and ye do dishonor me." Okay, we you got um, verse forty nine. We fifty two. Fifty two says. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil, Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, 
he shall never taste of death. Right. Again, they've got a confrontation there, and they're accusing him of being demon-possessed, etc., etc., and they're saying, you, you, you've got a demon. So here is the teaching again that there is such a thing as demonic power. Now, you could also look at John chapter 10, verse 20 and 21, if you want to, um, but let's move to the epistle. First John chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Because not only the gospel, now in the epistles, and you'll find there in First John chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world, whereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and that is that spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Clearly, there's a contrast between the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and these evil spirits. So there are two different spirits. One, uh, uh, it's very, very clear, you're supposed to try the spirits. And by the way, it's talking about people who are influenced by spirits. When people, prophets, for example, you're going to we'll probably find that in the Old Testament when we begin to look at it, that there were people in the Old Testament, prophets, who were actually motivated by an uh, um, uh, evil spirit, etc. So clearly here, they're saying that the believer must exercise discernment. Don't take everything a person saying a spirit can be used in a speaker or used in a, a, a prophet or used in a pastor or used in a religious leader a spiritual leader and he's saying exercise discernment on this matter and try these spirits because behind these people's doctrine is a doctrine of demons you'll find that paul mentions that in the book of timothy so you're dealing here with spirits again who can be you be using people to teach false doctrine, especially in relation to Jesus Christ, who he really is. So John is indicating here that there are spirits, evil spirits, that teach, um, influence people. And then look at Revelation, because he wrote the book of Revelation as well. Uh, Revelation 8, 10, and chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers, and upon the fountains of the waters, and the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Okay, look at chapter 9, verse 1. Um and the fifth angel sounded, and a star fell from heaven onto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Okay, continue reading for just a second. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them that was given power, as scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Okay, Nathan, we probably deal with that to some extent, but there are demonic uh, spirits that come from the earth, and this angel has given an openly bottomless pit. We just remember if, when we come to the Gospels, you'll find that when our Lord was uh, dealing with the, the demonic guy, he said, don't cast me into the pit. Same word that is used there. That's, that's where the demons are confined. Later on in the book of Revelation, you study it, that there are demons confined uh, that are going to be released in the end times. But uh, again, if you look at chapter, maybe look at one other one, uh, look at chapter 16, verse 13 to 14, Revelation. All right. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, 
come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle the great day of the Almighty. Again, you've got these three major spirits that are going to be used, but notice the, the appearance, like frogs, etc., etc. It's interesting, I don't want to go through this, but it's interesting, my own experience uh, with dealing with a situation, um, that was one of the things in the house, the frogs, right? Uh, and I don't have any doubt in my mind that these, you know, you ever notice that the, de- the demons try to possess the body? And they try to a human body. Yeah. And uh, if you read some of the documents on, on demonism, uh, they seem to appear in different forms. And one of those forms they appear is frogs. Okay. But uh, Revelation, the other passage in Revelation chapter 12 as well, you'll find demons. But let's move to Paul now. We talked about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the New Testament books. If you include the book of Hebrews, he wrote 14 of them. And Paul made reference uh, to demons. Uh, Look at Corinthians 10, verse 20 and 21. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. In each case there, the word is demons. And here the Apostle Paul is making sure that these Corinthians don't mix with the pagans where they would uh, be in part of these these banquets. And when the flesh would come out, the flesh is dedicated to to these heathen gods. Paul is making it very clear that behind this idolatry, they are demonic spirits, etc. But notice Paul is talking about this whole matter of demons and the word there is is devils. And then, of course, Ephesians (coughs) 6, (coughs) verse 12 Uh, Paul talks about these evil forces as well, Ephesians 6, verse 12. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Good, good. Again, those of you who are familiar with the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, has to do with spiritual warfare, and he's talking about this array of organized evil, uh, almost like a military... Uh, arrangement where they've got these um, different um, different le- levels of authority uh, that Paul talks about, but in, in that whole thing, he's wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities, etc. He's talking about demonic powers, etc. <laughs> Pastor, we have a question that came in from Antigua <coughs> via Facebook. Why was Jesus baptized? He he made it very clear why he's baptized to fulfill all righteousness. That's why he was baptized, because remember that John came on the scene, and John is to authenticate him. John is a voice crying, well, that this is the Messiah. But John's, John's baptism was ordained of God. And the reason why they had the baptism, of course, is John was calling the people to repentance and asking people to uh, return to the Lord. Christ was endorsing John's ministry by being baptized. He had no sin to confess. But he was endorsing because that was part of God's righteous program, that John the Baptist would be the forerunner. He would prepare the way for the Messiah, and his baptism was of God and approved of God, which was an act of repentance. Remember when Christ, when John Christ came to John, John said, "Wait a minute, <laughs> you want to be baptized with me? I need to be baptized with you." And then Jesus said, "Suffer it to be thus so until now to fulfill all righteousness." So he was authenticating John's ministry. 
that it was a righteous ministry approved by God and it was divine. And so what John was doing was sanctioned by God and he proceeded in that matter. And John saw the uh, the anomaly of this, that here is the Messiah, the perfect one, coming to be baptized of me. I'm preaching the baptism of repentance that he has none to repent of. But then to fulfill the ministry and endorse John's ministry, he was baptized. That's exactly why he was baptized. And a WhatsApp question from Antigua on the topic we're discussing. Hi, good night. One question, how do you know if you have a demon and can evil spirits appear in animals? Well, of course, evil spirits can appear in animals. We'll probably mention that sometime in the program. Uh, Look, generally speaking... If a person is demon-possessed, they don't know the demon-possessed. Anybody who's demon-possessed, you can put even mark it down that they're not possessed, okay? Uh, when people are possessed by demons, they, they don't recognize it. They will deny it, etc., etc., because they don't even know what is happening. Uh, they can go through an experience where when you tell them what really happened, they ain't got a clue what has happened. So it's not something you could actually... Um, Say that, but there are there are marks of it. We'll we'll deal with about. Uh, if we go to the the book of Mark, we, our Lord met the the guy at Garadines, and we can show you that there are certain marks that the people display. For example, a person who is demonized, Nami will speak. Uh, so a voice that is not that person will normally speak. So when you hear that voice, you know that's not the individual. Uh, so normally the person speaks. There are people who speak another language. Uh, when they're demon possessed, that's why the danger of this tongues movement is is is, is, is something you need to be very cautious about. Uh, uh, the interest that that Muslims speak in tongues, Hindus speak in tongues, pagans speak in tongues, shamans speak in tongues. So when you say that tongues is a sign that you're possessed of the Holy Spirit, another spirit. So you got to be very very careful. You don't buy into this idea that the proof that you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit they speak in tongues because Christians are not the only person speaking tongues. There is a deceptive spirit that is always counterfeiting something that God has uh, put in place, okay? And the other thing is uh, unusual strength. Uh, they display strength that sometimes it takes five and six people to hold that person down. That's another thing that you need to, to, to look at. And then uh, another thing is that they, 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 they curse God in ways that you don't think it's possible. Vulgar to the point where uh, you almost think the earth will open up and receive you because they're that vulgar. We'll come back to this next time. Pastor, thank you very much for your teaching on the topic. In 15 seconds, can you just remind me, remind us, what does it mean to truly be born again? To be born again is to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As the Spirit brings you conviction, uh, you're brought to repentance and faith in Him. Simple gospel. Thank you for joining us tonight on That's Truth. Stay safe. If you're listening to us from the Eastern Caribbean, make sure that you stay up to date with the weather as this potential tropical storm is headed our way. Keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's Truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. 
If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.